0: Hi guys. Welcome back to the show. You are in for such a knowledge bomb going off today with these Philly accents that are pretty prevalent in this conversation. My guest is Gabrielle Salamone and she is an eating disorder therapist practicing out of Philly. So I'm so excited to have her on today. Gabby talks a lot about the link between eating disorders, anxiety, and OCD. Gabby talks about why diets don't work. And she also shares with us how to start accepting our bodies and resisting the diet mentality that is very prevalent in this culture that we live in. Gabby is a full-time outpatient therapist. She works at Therapy for Women in Philadelphia. And Gabby specializes in treating patients, including women, men, and non-binary, with eating disorders, anxiety, and OCD. Gabby is passionate about supporting her clients in making changes and living a life that they love. And you'll hear this passion throughout the interview. Gabby can be found at her handle on Instagram at LiveWell with Gabrielle. And for any questions that you have or if you want to contact Gabby, she can be reached by email at Gabby at I'll put all of her information in the show notes for this episode. Let's listen. So, today I have Gabby Salamone on the show, and she's going to speak and talk to you guys a lot about this diet culture that we're, you know, that we talk about often in these episodes and eating disorders. And we'll talk about anxiety and OCD related to anxiety. So, Gabby, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to
1: be here and talk with you guys and just share with you some of my knowledge and get the word out there that like people aren't alone. There's lots of stuff going on and we are here to help and support and try to address
0: some of it. That's great. I think that's what a lot of people need to hear. So So when we first, when, when we're talking about this, why don't we first kind of dig deep into a little bit of what you do? It sounds like your specialty, your your specialty as a therapist is um, in dealing with eating disorders, right? That's correct. Yeah. So I am
1: a licensed clinical social worker. I've been in the mental health field for over 10 years now. I have worked in a number of level of care, like different levels of care for with clients. And I specialize in treating clients with, that have, you know, eating disorders OCD and anxiety disorders. Those are like my big three. And I say the big three, because a lot of times we find that they are co-occurring with each other. And what that means is that a lot of people that are struggling with anxiety disorders also struggle with eating disorders or disordered eating. And people that are struggling with OCD are also a lot of times struggling with eating disorders and disordered eating and vice versa. And so it's the prevalence of them all being there in some capacity is extremely
0: high when you talk about eating disorders what are you like okay so can you first clarify what you when you're talking in this episode what eating disorders is as opposed to disordered eating because I'm guessing that they're different
1: yeah so okay. eating disorders are like you're meeting I'll add this in here. The Patriarchy likes to have us follow the DSM in terms of diagnosing clients with specific things to meet criteria, that they have to meet these all these specific criteria. And it's actually really oppressive because clients can have anorexia, but not meet the criteria because of weight. And so that's just like... That phobic in and of itself, and so I say, you know, you can have an eating disorder, which could be anorexia, atypical anorexia, bulimia, binge-purge disorders, binge eating, ARFID, which is avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. Those are like the big encompassing eating disorders in the DSM. But then when I say disorder eating, I'm also talking about orthorexia, which is the like belief or like the overconsumption of healthy foods. And I'm using quotations here, even though nobody can see me. (laughs) I can see you. (laughs) Right. And so like orthorexia is like when you develop an unhealthy, unsafe
0: obsession with healthy food. Right. Right. So it'll be like somebody who like seems like, oh, they're so great. They eat so healthy, but really it's some kind of disorder distorted eating because it's an obsession about eating the healthy foods that it's kind of like, I guess like taking a toll on their life. Is that what makes it disordered? Yeah. So
1: like like it becomes like obsession with like healthy dieting and consuming pure clean foods, like obsessing and following a healthy lifestyle. It can be also like intertwined with over-exercising and an obsession about exercising. Problem is that it's not recognized by the American Psychiatric Association. So it's not in the DSM as a mental health disorder. And then like also disordered eating could be somebody that is going back and forth on diets and going in and out of diets. And, you know, one day they are... know just intuitively eating but then the next day they're following all these rules and then the next day maybe they are back to like intuitive eating or like following specific rules so it just becomes a little
0: there when there's a lot I call disordered eating usually like when there's like a lot of food rules so when you talk about eating disorders and I know that you did a lovely like like introduction that eating disorders and, and anxiety and OCD are related. Can you like kind of dive in a little bit more about that and kind of how that, how that presents itself and just kind of why that is?
1: Yeah. So like, we're not really sure always like why that is. There's some discussion in the field that eating disorders like are very related to anxiety disorders and like like a fear syndrome. And so like the like statistic actually is like up to 64% of individuals with eating disorders also have at least one anxiety disorder and up to 41% of these individuals also have OCD. Oh, so they can have both anxiety and OCD. Oh, okay. Yeah. You can have both at the same time, but like, so you can also like 64% has like at least one and then like 41% have OCD. And like, there's talk that we can view eating disorders like as a fear disorder. So like fear of weight gain, fear of not fitting in in society, fear of food, fear of physical sensations,
0: fear of any of the above, right? Do we have that because of like how we grew up in society or are we having that because of anxiety and or OCD? Or is it a combination? That's like, I guess, diet culture makes it worse? Like, how does that work?
1: It's kind of like a combination, right? Like, yeah. we don't know necessarily what causes eating disorders, or necessarily anxiety disorders, or OCD, there are some biological components to it. But it's sometimes like eating disorders and OCD and anxiety, like don't just happen like in a vacuum, there's societal, there's hereditary, there's sociocultural, like. There's, and that's society, I'm sorry. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, but like you can have it, like there's just general like issues going on for you at that moment. And you're like, how am I coping with this? What can Mm -hmm. I do? What feels... Like I can have some sense of control and a lot of like, there's times like that there's control. That's a part of these you know, disorders. And then there's a part that sometimes it's, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no rationale there. Yeah. There, there's, there's not like, there's not really a reason why somebody starts having
0: like obsessive thoughts or intrusive thoughts. And so then how does that impact our relationship with our bodies In general, when we have when we are start having these these feelings, right? So like what does that how does that impact our relationship with our bodies and then how do we fix it?
1: That's actually what it ends up being. is like there, it's very overwhelming. And so if we're just saying like, I feel anxious, right? I feel scared, I feel uncertain, I utilize specific tools that I believe are helping me but they end up hurting me. We just kind of get in this cycle of either it's like, they like binging. So we feel all these things and then we binge and our anxiety and all those emotions go down in the short term. And then the long term, though, we end up feeling bad about ourselves, beating ourselves up, criticizing ourselves. And then when that emotion comes around again, we usually engage in the same exact behaviors. But I think the back to the original question here is like, how like do we address it or like, how does it all like go forward and some of it is like learning to get comfortable with our discomfort uh-huh. for all of it like whether you're treating I'm treating somebody with that you know has anxiety OCD or and or eating disorder like it's about getting comfortable with our discomfort and that is actually like as a society we've been taught that discomfort is bad instead of thinking of discomfort as growth. So I usually say to my clients, like, I want you to get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable.
0: So it's just kind of sitting in the feelings that are starting whatever you're feeling that you're trying to avoid by eating the way. And this sounds like such a silly question, but we talk a lot in here about emotional eating. So I'm guessing that emotional eating, is that considered like, more eating disorder alike or disordered eating, our guest doesn't really just depend on what what Depends the emotion what's is. What's going on? Yeah. And
1: how often? And gotcha. Yes, yeah, so emotional eating is a part of it, right? Like m- eating brings us comfort, brings us joy a lot of times. You know, we can't have a full life unless we have a full belly sometimes, right? And so many things of life's joys actually revolve around food. So it's no wonder when we are feeling icky that we want to eat. Why? Because a lot of our good memories are connected with food. Though so the problem is, is like when we just start eating to feel something and we end up overeating because we're not listening to our bodies at all. And we're just like keeping, like we just keep eating without paying attention to any of our intuitive eating or any of our bodily sensations, physical sensations that say like, hey, you've had enough. Take
0: back. Yeah, so like, like, I guess it's like listening and being in the discomfort is the only way through it because you have to feel it in order to move through it. Yeah, yeah, and you have to feel it
1: to, in order to move through it. So like even just like the discomfort of feeling physical sensations in our bodies. People get wigged out by that. Right. Yeah. The think about this. Like you how often do you hear people say, oh my God, I feel so fat today? Often. Right. <laughs> my response is, what actually are you feeling? Where in your body are you feeling physical sensations? Because when they say that, it usually means I feel heaviness on my chest, I feel pressure on my chest, my arms feel like lead, my legs feel giggly because uh, maybe they feel ang- anxious, right? My stomach feels tight and tense. Those are all equated with heavy, right? Mm-hmm. Weak. Yeah. Not actually fat. The other thing I usually say, and this is what, more like when I work with adolescents, when they're like, I feel so fat today, I also, you know, joke with them and say, that is not a feeling. You have fat, you have fingernails. Are you a fingernail?
0: (laughs) So funny. They're probably what? That's not funny. You're not (laughs) funny, (laughs) Ariel. Yeah, but so in saying that, like, yeah, that's so interesting because it's almost like again, it's like it's like you have to kind of feel the feeling. And a lot of times we're trying to run away from them or not sit with them, right? And so then it sounds like all of that kind of precipitates everything else and like precipitates the cycle to keep going and going and going. And so, you know, I know that you were saying that one of the treatments is to kind of sit with it, but like, what do you do if you feel like that you've had this for a really long time or like, how do you, like, that's the thing is like, for some people, right, you have people that have maybe been doing this for, like, 40 and 50 years, like, how do you undo do that, or how do you manage that? It just seems like a huge undertaking for the individual and for the therapist.
1: Yeah, the distress tolerance skills are helpful, right? They're used to help us cope and survive during crises, and so it's, like, figuring out, like, what actually are, like, short-term and short, like, quick distress tolerance skills for you, but also, like, a rem- reminding yourself that like emotions actually last about 90 seconds unless we're judging and criticizing and fueling them and like cycling through constantly about that emotion and ourselves and why do we have that emotion and how come we have that and we are ridiculous for feeling that way and we need to stop it and knock it off and so we should shove it down and pretend like it's not happening Hmm. that actually is like the problem problem isn't the emotion. It's how we treat ourselves after/ during or while we're having that emotion.
0: Yeah, so it's like it sounds like there's like a loop that mm-hmm. kind of goes on. but then how do you stop it? How do you stop it when you're in the middle of it? I mean, my God, you say stop like what do you yeah. do
1: sometimes it's actually like the big thing is, is mindfulness. So we want to work on paying attention on purpose, with purpose in the present moment. and the big part of mindfulness is without judgment. So without judging ourselves, our emotions, our
0: thoughts. How do you do that? How do you stop it in that moment? How do you go from being like crazy into like, I'm awful, I hate myself to like, I feel mindful. Like, how does that happen? What's it's bridge?
1: Actually catching yourself in the spiral. I like to call it the spiral, the shame spiral. The downward, like rabbit hole that Alice tumbles, right? Like we're just mm-hmm. falling and all this stuff is going on around you. It's actually like pausing and being like, I'm talking to myself horribly right now. Like I'm spiraling I'm shaming myself and working on so like, like recognizing it, recognizing it is the first step. And then it's okay. I'm doing that. So like, I need to ground myself. I need to bring myself back to the present moment. And so it's, either paying attention to your breath and doing some, you know, square breathing where you're breathing in for five and holding it for five and then breathing out for the extended period, because your breath is always with you. So you can utilize that. It might be your senses. So taking, you know, a breath and putting your feet really firmly on the ground and looking around the room and saying five things you see four things that you can physically touch and feel. Three things that you can hear, two things that yeah. you can smell, and then one thing that you can taste. And did I, yeah. Did yeah. I smell? So like, that's like grounding yourself. So like, what can you actually see around you is like the gist of it. That's a grounding technique. It might be. Does it like, distract you? Is that why it works? Well, it brings your mind back from all the what ifs and the shaming. And the what ifs are the anxiety and the shaming is when you're judging yourself. And so like, that's where like, we, you know, end up struggling a lot too, is like, we're trying to control a lot of things
0: and we can't control majority of our lives. Unfortunately. (laughs) Unfortunately. right? So then when this, when we talk about like, I want to kind of get a little bit into like the diet part too. So I know that you and I both agree that diets don't work. So from your perspective, can you kind of. You know, you have a really vast perspective about like why they don't work and how they can be harmful way more than anybody. So, can you kind of speak a little bit to that?
1: Yeah. So diets don't work because they don't take into account every body is different. We all have different genetic makeups, different heights, different, you know way we metabolize food different reactions to food and diets tell us well you follow this you'll lose the weight and then you'll look like this it's, you know thin and toned and beautiful and you know it doesn't really equate to though like what is actually beautiful what is you know any of that they're just giving you this like ideal that's really based on eurocentric appearances And also focusing on thin, white, abled people. And the majority of society doesn't fall into that category. So you and I could have the same exact diet, the same exact exercises.
0: We will not look alike. And then what happens when you don't meet that criteria or you feel like you're doing everything and you don't look that Then what happens then? you shame spiral and you beat yourself up
1: and you think you're unworthy and unlovable and an outcast of society because you can't do it right. You failed again. And the other part about dining that we don't really talk much about is actually like we're telling our bodies how to function internally without realizing like that's their job. They know what to do with the food that we're giving it, but, we think we know better. So we are going to restrict and punish ourselves to follow this diet because our bodies aren't doing what we wanted to do because it doesn't fall in line with how society wants
0: us to be. And so then, where do we like, how, like, what do we do to resist the diet culture and to, um, and then to start having body acceptance? Because I feel like on a lot of, social media platforms, it's really hard to do that. I mean, because there's constantly the comparison, you know, in our Facebook feeds, or I feel like on Instagram, depending on who you follow, there may be pictures of people that you think look healthy, whether or not they have any disordered eating, none of that's not going to probably be publicized, right? And so what do you do to kind of create some more of that balance, and then also create that like self acceptance around it?
1: Yeah. So I think like the first thing is like cleaning up your social media feed. So that means going in and unfollowing all the people that do not bring you joy and cause you to feel crappy about yourself and to question like, am I doing something wrong with how I'm eating or working out or not working out or whatever, clear your search history. So you start getting new content on your like suggested feed page and start following people that bring you joy and help you feel better about yourself. That's usually the first thing I encourage people to do. You know, the other thing I usually say is like let's try to remind ourselves that 95% of diets fail. So if you hear that, right, there's only a 5% success rate with this here diet in the long term. Doesn't actually make you want to do it.
0: I you always think that you're going to be that 5%, right? I'm going to be the one that does it. Yeah.
1: Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Like my head always goes, only 5% success rate? No, thank you. I'm good. <laughs> oh, I'm good. <laughs> it means 95% of people are failing. That's like the other part, I think. And then like remembering like our bodies know what to do. We start listening and stop controlling. It knows when we're sleepy. It knows when we're hungry. It knows when we need. A little coffee pick me up. It knows when you know we want something sweet versus when we want something cool and crunchy. But so then it's
0: so then you're saying like first you kind of start listening to what your body's saying. Is that involve writing anything down or does that like? that part of the process like okay this is what I'm feeling because how I feel like a lot of times we're so busy right that it's not like we sit down we might know that those thoughts exist but we don't actually express them to anybody or actually like verify them so how do we do that how do we become in tune with it
1: yeah it it is sometimes about just pausing and asking ourselves what do I want and what do I need a lot of times we you know, get in this cycle where we're not listening to ourselves at all, because we're on autopilot so often. And so some people, it helps for them to write it down. Some people, they just want to reflect on it for a couple minutes. Some people want to go through like a whole list of, you know, what am I thinking and feeling? And what do I want to eat? And like asking themselves like either or type questions, you know, salty, sweet, hot, cold, cold, soft, crunchy, right? And so you can kind of figure out what you want to eat. Um, If we even think about like, how often do you go to a restaurant and order actually the thing you want or the thing that you think you quote unquote should have because you need to be good. If you're having the thing that you should have versus what you want, you're more than likely to obsess about that thing that you wanted and feel disappointed by that thing that you ended up like
0: ordering that's not meeting your needs or desires. And then what do we do if we're in a place that we don't love our bodies? Like, what if we're like, ugh, I had a baby, I don't look the same. Or maybe we have 50 pounds that we feel like are uncomfortable on our bodies or for, or whatever, we're not as active as we were before. How do we get into a place that we're like, okay. You know, cause I think what a lot of people do is like, they're so desperate to not feel that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then it's like, I'm going to do whatever I think is easiest or the quickest way to get me there. So how do you accept where you're at at that particular moment and resist that temptation?
1: Yeah, it's, I think there's like a spectrum of body image and, you know, there's different levels and we don't always have to love our bodies, right? We don't always have to accept our bodies. It's sometimes that middle ground of like i want to just try to appreciate myself today i want to find some peace today i want to feel a little confident today what we know is like body dissatisfaction really like involves like feeling like comfortable like uncomfortable and not confident in our bodies and we like know that diet culture actually sells body satisfaction through like body image. And so like, it's pretty much telling you like, oh, you want to feel really good about your body by this year has nothing to do with body image. Body image is really like about how you view yourself, how you think about yourself, how you feel about yourself, how you engage with your body, like what types of behaviors you engage in around your body. And even like the thoughts and beliefs you have, you have, and you feel about your body and It's not like a one size fits all. There's not a one, like one thing will fix this or that it's body image and
0: body like work is like shifting around, digging around in there. So are there social media people that you like to follow that you feel like there's body positivity? Are there books that you feel like kind of help guide people to kind of finding some of the answers that you've kind of talked about?
1: Yeah. So I love body image with Brie and I'm actually doing her training right now. I've done the Be Body Positive training, which is another great organization that empowers young girls and young women and men also about their bodies. There's like the Fuck It Diet, which I love her. She's amazing. She's Uh, She's amazing. Free. Who else do I love? Jennifer Rollins, she's great. There's just like so many people that I really love and enjoy, and that have like great
0: body image stuff out there. And we, you and I, had talked about Bernie Brown when it comes to shame, right? Is there a book that you love more than others of hers? I'm constantly torn between like going back and forth between the Gifts of Imperfection
1: and Daring oh. Greatly. Those are like oh, yeah. They're never ending depths of knowledge and like insight, I think. But yeah, there's like the become, lovely becoming. She's amazing too. I really lovely like her. Becoming. Okay. Her name's Mimi, but uh, she's great. The lovely becoming is her
0: Instagram. The so lovely becoming. And then, so Kavi, one thing before we go, I wanted to just, I wanted to ask you one more question. I feel like that I get asked a lot about this fit and fat mentality. So I feel like people will say, is it possible to be fit and fat? And that's like a big thing. So can you talk a little bit about, about that? Because I know that that's something that you're probably much more familiar with than I am.
1: Yes. So fit and fat is 100% actually capable because
0: weight has nothing to do actually with your health. So when we talk about fit or fat, we're talking about somebody who may appear on the outside to be what overweight, obese. Yeah. And then like, like operating in a larger body. Operating in a larger body. Yes. Okay. Yes. And thank you for correcting me. And so I think there's this perception of like, if you're operating in a larger body, that somehow you are a responsible for that or be that you are unhealthy. That's kind of the fit or fat mentality, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So now can you please clarify a little bit about that?
1: <laughs> yeah. So weight has nothing to do with your health. Somebody that is overweight is actually more likely to be healthier than somebody that is underweight. That like really like what has to do with determining like health is really like what's your blood sugars, what's your cholesterol, what's your blood pressure like? Those actually are better barometers of our
0: health than a number on a scale. Yeah, we've talked a, we've talked in here about like BMI and I body weight and they don't really hold any weight. BMI is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that there's made by white men. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't tell anything about like our body composition and what's kind of going on, but it's used as like, um, you know, it's used to classify disease risk. Right. But then yes. you're, you're right. Like all the metabolic Parameters that you're talking about are going to be much more accurate in determining what our disease state risk is, right?
1: Yeah. So, like actually, like here's the when in the 19, I think, 40s, like Met Life Insurance started using BMI measurements to determine how much to charge their customers for their insurance. And then they're the ones that came up with these like dumb ideal charts with no scientific evidence at all connected to mm-hmm. them. And then they lobbied our government to start using like recognizing BMI as an indicator of mortality, which was then adopted by health workers as a way to determine a person's health, even though there's no scientific evidence about it. Yeah. And then there was a like point in, I think like the like nineties, that they redid the charts to lower everybody's BMI. And so like overnight millions of Americans became obese without anything actually changing about that. Actually the best indicator of the weight, like for your ideal body weight is actually your growth curve charts, which most of us don't have from our childhood to determine like what percentiles we were in for like height and weight as a kid. So if I was a hundred percentile constantly for my height, no wonder I'm five foot 10.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's such a good point. That's so good. And so then in all of this, though, like if somebody feels like that they, like like something, they recognize thing in what you were saying or it triggers something in what you were saying, how would somebody know to seek help, help and where would they go to seek help?
1: I would say if it's something that's constantly on your mind, talk to a therapist. Therapy is, th- something doesn't have to be catastrophically wrong for you to start seeing a therapist, right? Like they, getting therapy, we believe it's like this big scary thing. It's actually like showing up for ourselves once a week, once every other week, whatever, where we're just focusing on ourselves. And sometimes therapy, yes, is about like digging in and doing like that hard work. And sometimes it's just talking about like all the things that you feel like you don't have time to talk about or think about in your day-to-day life. And so like something doesn't have to be wrong before you to show up to therapy.
0: Yeah, and I think people think, look, I'm an advocate of therapy. I've been going for many, many, many years, but I think like there's that part too. It's like, it's scary. But then also it's like, it's the best thing that you can do for you. Most people don't acknowledge that they feel something. And then also like, I think we rely on our friends to give therapy, but like, they're not trained to give you information and you might not even tell them anything. You might not really, I think that's the big thing of like the honesty of it and then non-judgment because where else do you get that in your life?
1: nowhere else right like you don't get it anywhere else a friend is like somebody to talk to but they're not in they're invested in you they're not going to give you like always like that feedback that you need or give you those skills that you are going to actually like help you get through something sometimes they just end up enabling us (laughs) more than once my friends have enabled me to make a therapist is going to say like why do you think you're doing these same patterns of behavior and like make you look at it a little deeper and look back and
0: reflect of like, oh, I've done this repeatedly for years. And So that you can change it. But I think you made a good point, like this skill development. If you're talking to your friend, you're not developing skills that you can utilize to move forward in your life. Where talking to a therapist, you do develop those skills. And how else would you develop them if, if there are skills that you haven't learned, right?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. So Gabby, thank you. I cannot thank you enough for coming on. I know that everybody has just, oh my gosh, you're just this wealth of information. And I know that I think that you clarified a lot of stuff that people are either too afraid to go to a therapist to figure out. I just think, and it's just been a really down to earth conversation. So if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you at? Like, what are some of your, your hands? Yes yeah, So them?
1: you can find me on Instagram. I'm live well with Gabrielle. I see clients at therapy for women in old city, Philadelphia. And that's really that those are the big places you can find me wandering around Philadelphia when we're out of the pandemic
0: too. That's great. So they'll come find you. So thank you again. And we really, I really appreciate you being here today.
1: Of course, it was a great time. We'll have to do it again soon because clearly you have lots of stuff to talk about.
0: If you found value in this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Being a busy woman or mom doesn't mean that we have to give up on our health, wellness, or self-care. Together, we can take tiny imperfect steps towards creating the whole health we desire and deserve. You can find us at wholehealthempower.com, or on Instagram at Whole Health Empower. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.